That on. There we go. Happy Easter, guys. It's so good to see you guys uh, this morning. If uh, this is your first time here, let me introduce myself. Uh, my name is Ryan. I serve as one of the pastors here. And today I get the honor and privilege of looking with you at God's Word. And man, uh, as I just look back over the last few months in our time here in Nashville, I am so grateful for the gift of what uh, God's been doing both here in Fellowship Nashville and in, in bringing our family to be a part of this celebration with you all today. You know, as I was thinking about our time together in God's word, I was reminded that there are certain things in life that change everything. Uh, There's a fourth member of the Dowdy family that doesn't often make it to weekend services. And if you've been to our house or uh, you've been over for Citigroup, you know that I'm talking about our year and a half old pug, Winston. Here's a picture of Winston. Now, here's the thing about Winston. Winston is full blood pug but he also thinks he's full-blood pit bull. And uh, I remember thinking when we got Winston, hey, let's get a small dog. How much of a difference can this thing really make? Who knew that a 20-pound furball can fill up a whole king-size bed? Don't ask me how it happens. I just know that it happens. Or uh, how is it that uh, this thing, we train him? Yeah, I'm not exactly sure who's trained in the process. You know, sometimes in life, it is the unexpected things that change everything. And certainly, if that is true anywhere in life, far more than just uh, talking about a dog, it is the reality of what we've come to celebrate today, the reality of this thing that we call Easter, the day in which we celebrate Jesus' resurrection from the dead. This day, more than any other thing in human history, changes everything about life as we know it. And perhaps there are a few passages that dive into that reality more clearly than the one that we'll look at today from the book of Ephesians, in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 to 7. If you have your Bible, let me invite you to turn with me there. Uh, But before we dive in, would you join me in a word of prayer? So Father, we thank you that you are a God. You are of love and justice that as... uh, as Paul puts it in Romans, that you found a way through putting Christ as our sacrifice to be both just and justifier of the one who has faith in Christ Jesus. Jesus, we thank you for your sacrifice and the resurrection that you've accomplished, that we celebrate today. And Holy Spirit, we thank you that you are with us, surrounding us, filling us, equipping us, revealing to us the truth of this good news that we call the gospel. How I pray today that as we dive into your word, that you would open our hearts and minds more and more, that you would help us see with greater clarity just uh, the, the beautiful impacts that this day holds for our lives. And so, Lord, we thank you, we love you, we praise you in your name. Amen? Amen. Well, friends, uh, today we come to Easter, this celebration and culmination of what we call Holy Week. You might recall that we started last Sunday with what we refer to as Palm Sunday. It commemorates the day in which Jesus rode into Jerusalem. He was met by a group who were waving palm branches, shouting at him, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest, Hosanna, save us. The trouble was the salvation that they wanted was salvation from their circumstance rather than recognizing that the greatest tyrant that they would ever know was not a political power, it was the tyranny of sin in their own hearts. Fast forward to what we uh, call Maundy Thursday. On Maundy Thursday, Jesus goes in the upper room 
And it's there that he does two beautiful things. One, he kneels at the feet of his disciples. He wraps himself with a towel and tells his disciples to do the same. And he washes the feet of his closest followers. And then he serves them a meal of bread. And together they commemorate this thing that Jesus says will find its fullest accomplishment one day in heaven. Fast forward to Good Friday. We gathered in homes all across the city this week as we remembered and reflected on that gruesome moment that we call the crucifixion where Christ laid down his life on the cross. And as he breathes his last, he declares, it is finished. In this moment, it seems as if everything we thought about life had fallen apart. And it's here that we come to this beautiful promise and declaration that we find in the book of Ephesians. So if you have your Bible, uh, read with me here in Ephesians chapter 4. But God... Being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. So powerful. Because at this moment when life seemed to be at its lowest, three women go to what they expected to be a tomb where they would anoint the body of Jesus. And guess what? He wasn't there. He was risen. And the fact that he is risen, can I suggest to you, in that singular act, everything about the human condition was forever changed. In fact, here's what I want to suggest to you today is the key idea of our message that the reality of Jesus' resurrection changes everything. We thought about God. We thought about ourselves. And that we thought about our mission. And when we understand this, we recognize that far, than being it, far from being an event that simply took place thousands of years ago, the reality and the presence of the resurrection is as real today as it was on that hillside thousands of years ago. And to understand that, I, I believe we have to begin by recognizing that the reality of the resurrection changes what we often think about God. You know, it's interesting, if you look at verse 4, uh, Paul opens this section with two profound words, but God. Previously to this point in chapter 4, Paul has been outlining the helpless, or in chapter 2, Paul's been outlining the helpless state of humanity. That humanity by its very nature was dead in its trespasses in sin, following in the course of the world. Humanity was totally and completely unable to be right with God in her own power. It seemed on a one-way track to death and destruction. And then those words, but... God. You know, theologian and pastor A.W. Tozer was once quoted as saying that what comes into our mind when we think about God is the most important thing about us. What comes to mind when we think about God is the most important thing about us. You know, friends, if I were to ask you, when you think of God, what what comes into your mind? For many, I think if we're honest, beyond the church answers, we know 
that sometimes we get this image of some guy sitting high and removed on a lofty throne with a white beard and a thunderbolt ready to zap in the butt anybody who steps out of line. Or for others, they picture a God who set the universe into existence and stepped back, removed from the goings-on, the difficulties and the struggles of everyday life. But when we find these words, but God being rich in mercy because he loved us with the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, we find the picture of a God who stops at nothing, even to the point of giving the gift of his son to draw us into this life. You know, sometimes I have uh, conversations with good friends and uh, we get to that awkward point where they're like, what do you do? And it always gets kind of weird for me because sometimes when I tell people I'm a pastor, all of a sudden there's this sense of like the air gets sucked out of the room, you know? And typically when those moments happen, it's followed by a comment like this. Oh, Ryan, you would never catch me in the walls of a church because I think the second I did, the walls would catch on fire. Or if there wasn't a storm, like the clouds would gather on the horizon and a lightning bolt would come right as I walked through the doors. And you know what I want to say to my friends when they say that? Welcome to the club. Welcome to the club. Because this isn't about how good or bad we are. This is about the goodness of a God who loved us so much that he was willing to go to the cross to draw us into this life, not because of our observation of dead religion, but because he has come to build a relationship with his people. And again, maybe you're here today and you would, you would say, you know, man, I got, kind of got dragged here today and, and I don't even know where I stand with God. Can I tell you, God has stopped at nothing to draw you into this life. Today, would you hear his voice? You might say, well, Ryan, what does Easter have to do with all this? Everything. Because Jesus himself painted an image of who God was. Jesus said that this one that he called his father was one who because of the relationship we have with him is inviting us to call him Abba. And if it is God who raised Christ from the dead, and I'm convinced it is, then in that act, either God is validating his message or becoming a, a passive participant in the deception. And I don't think the latter is possible in the character of God. And so because of that, in the resurrection of Christ, Christ is valid, or God is validating everything that he has said about who God is. Friends, if you're here today and you would say, hey, I've had a distant relationship with God and I sense that today Jesus is drawing me into a new life. Jesus is drawing me to know and love him more. If that's you, I'm going to be available up here after the service. Would love to have the opportunity to pray with and encourage you as you take that step. But can I suggest to you that there's something even more profound that's going on in the text? Not only does Easter change our view of God, it even changes our view of ourselves. If you have your Bible, uh, look with me there in verse 5, that we have been, uh, that God has made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, that he has raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. You know, one of the things that's worth noting as we look at these three descriptions and ramifications of what this grace has done in our lives is that 
we recognize that it's all couched in the language of relationship. This has come because God is the one who has drawn us into this life, because God is the one who is inviting us into this space. And he tells us particularly three things, three realities of how this grace has changed us. The first is this, that he has made us alive together with Christ. The word in the Greek here is so fascinating to me. It literally means that which is dead, dead, to become alive, alive. Like, the best way I could describe it is it would be like a corpse standing up in a morgue. And as I was sitting in that mystery this week, I was reminded that one of the greatest dangers for those of us in the church is that we walk this journey of faith and after a while, the miraculous grace in which we walk in becomes just a little ordinary. I mean, the reality of what Paul is saying, it's for all those who are in Christ Jesus, we've been made alive together with Christ. Have you thought about that? The fact that any of us have moved from death to life is no less a miracle than a corpse standing up in the morgue. I mean, you think about it. You want to talk about a video that would go viral. I mean, there would be conspiracy theories and all, all kinds of, like, what in the world is going on? I mean, how is this even possible? And we miss so often the fact that the same power that raised Christ from the dead is at work in the people of God. Today, here, and now. Friends, I know you know that. But today I would ask you, do you know that? I mean, on one hand, we know that in intellectual ascent, but I believe this Easter, it becomes an opportunity to reorient all of our life around this mystery, that the resurrection power of Christ is alive within us. And it's why I think that this second descriptor is so incredibly important, because the second impact of grace is it means that God has moved us from victims to victors. Let me, let me explain what I mean by that. Notice that when it says that we're raised up, scholars have connected this idea of being raised up with uh, though making us alive deals with our state in the past. This raising up deals with our status in the present. You know, as I was wrestling with this concept this week, what quickly came to mind is the guy we've been trying not to talk about for a few years now. If you're a fan of the movie Encanto, you know exactly who I'm talking about. And you might be wondering, is he going to talk about Bruno? Yes, yes, I am going to talk about Bruno. You know, in, in the movie Encanto, Bruno is one of the, the, one of the siblings in the family Madrigal, and he, he doesn't have this place of ease in the family. In fact, in many ways, he's considered an outcast. And you know the thing that I find so tragic about Bruno every time I watch that movie? Is that Bruno is always in the family's house, but Bruno until the end of the movie is never home. Bruno is always in the family's house, but Bruno is never home. And friends, I think for a great many followers of Jesus, they live their life in much the same way. They know the truth and the power of the gospel, they know the passages and the realities of what this passage tells us, that we have been raised up with him, that we have experienced a life and a connectedness in Christ. And yet day after day goes on, and it doesn't make all that much of a difference in their life. 
You know, this week, as I, as I was preparing this message, what I found myself praying again and again is, God, would you give us greater clarity and insight into the fact that we've been raised with you? Would you give us greater clarity in the fact that we have been called your own, called according to your purpose, and that you are working your resurrection power in your bride in Nashville, in Waverly, Belmont, and across every corner of this globe. And I pray that today God would give us a fresh sense of wonder to marvel at the resurrection that he has brought in our lives. It's why this third thing I think is equally important, this third impact of grace, and it's that God has secured our place with Christ. Notice that Paul goes on to say that we have been seated with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Again, because of this connectedness that we have with God, we have been connected with a hope that transcends space and time, and we have been seated in the heavenly places in Christ. I don't know about you, but as I turn on the news and I see a world that's fallen apart, man, this is good news. It means that my hope isn't found in the circumstances of the day. My hope isn't found in my ability to hold it all together. My hope isn't found in my strength, my ability, or my faithfulness. But my hope is found in the goodness of a God who from the foundations of the earth set into motion a plan to send his son to die and be raised that we might know life and life to the full. And he has put his spirit within his bride to call equip, and send her on that mission. Friends, this Easter, I pray that God gives us a fresh sense of wonder around what this grace really is. That he would give us fresh eyes to see just how amazing grace really is because it changes everything. And that from that sense of wonder, we would recognize that it is also an invitation to a deep, and profound mission. If you have your Bible, look with me there in verse 7. Because there we're told, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Love that. It's this declaration that the message that we are called to proclaim, the message that we do proclaim as the redeemed people of God, is not the message of ourself. It is not the message of our own righteousness. It's not the message of our own accomplishment. But it is the goodness of a God who loved us at our lowest. That's why I love these words from commentator and scholar F.F. Bruce. When he says, in eternity, the church, the society of pardoned rebels is designed to be the masterpiece of his goodness. The message that we proclaim is that God is good and God is faithful and Christ is risen. How do I know? Because he's risen in me. Because he's risen in me. Because I have tasted of his resurrection power and life. And I can say, no matter the circumstance, the fear, the doubt, or the weakness, the certain direction of our path is rooted in the goodness and the mercy and the power of the resurrected king. Again, we know that. 
this Easter, may he lead us into a deeper marveling of that mystery. You know, this week, the question that I found myself looking at as I was wrestling through this passage was simply this. This Easter, where does the resurrection change your story? You know what one of the greatest tragedies of Easter would be? Is if we go through the events of going to church and doing Easter eggs and having meals and hanging out with friends and family and we never actually met with Jesus in the whole thing. That adorned with all the stuff that comes with Easter, we miss the point of what Easter is all about. That he is risen, he is alive, and he is at work among his people and calling his people to go into this world. You know, friends, maybe you're here today And the first place where Easter needs to change your story is in the recognition of letting this be that first chapter of transformation in your story, responding to the grace and the mercy of Christ in your life. Maybe you're here today and you've been carrying an image of God where he is uninterested or removed or perhaps looking with the scowl of condemnation, he dismisses you to the side and today you hear him saying, follow me. Friends, if that's you, after the service, I'm going to be just hanging out up front. I would love to have the opportunity to pray with and encourage you as you you take that step. But for the rest of us, what would it look like if our picture of Easter got a little bigger this year? What would it look like if we really trusted in a fresh way that what the resurrection brings is something that changes every corner of my life, that I'm not dead. Though the circumstances and the weakness of my life would tell me that, my hope is in the power of the resurrection and the God who stands behind it. What if we looked at the places in our life where we condemn ourselves and we miss out on the fact that Christ has already paid the price for our weakness and our frailty. He has risen, he himself proclaimed, it is finished. And today, at the empty tomb, we find an invitation to finally drop the weight of shame that we've been carrying for most of our lives. Or maybe you're here today and you would recognize you've been anxious with circumstance. You've been anxious with what the future would hold. And the resurrection invites you to see in a fresh way that because Christ is risen, the future is already taken care of. And we can rest in his goodness, mercy, and love. Friends, my greatest prayer as we come out from this time is that this Easter, God would change everything. That with a fresh vision of the reality of the resurrection, no corner of our life would go unchanged. That we would see with new light both God and ourselves And the invitation that we've been given to take to the world the good news of his transformation, mercy, grace, and love. Friends, Easter changes everything. Today, will you let it change you? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you love us. And Lord, we ask 
more than just an understanding of that in our minds, we ask for that an understanding of that in our hearts. Lord, we ask that by your grace and mercy, you would continue to reveal to us just your depth of love and care for your people. Lord, I pray that today, where there are places where we need to be reminded of the reality of your love and resurrection, that you would stir those places up in our heart. That you would be glorified and that in the midst of it, you would transform us. Spirit, we pray by your grace, would you continue to reveal, to renew, to guide, and to lead according to your great grace. We love you. We thank you. We praise you. In your name. Amen.